Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, let's do this. Let's dive into Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, podcast 477. Spent a few days in Texas, Dallas, Texas, hot Texas. I think it was 109, about the same temperature it was last time I went. Definitely hot there, had some fun, and met some good people. So shout out to Dallas. Hope everyone's having a good week achieving your goals, becoming more persuasive, influential, and helping others become more influential. That's a big part of the training this week is not only to become a better influencer, but a better influencing coach where you can spot something and say, yeah, fix this, do this, don't do that, change this. And that's definitely part of greatness is to look at the great persuaders out there and benchmark what you like, what they're doing, identify the tools they're using so you can use them and look at the anti-suaders, the bad managers out there that are doing it the wrong way. Maybe using the old school closing skills that just don't work. Keep your eyes open, get better every day. So let's get into our Blinja. For those new to the podcast, that's a combination of Blunder or Ninja. Kind of go back and forth on the show, but every once in a while, you decide, is this a Persuasion Blunder or Persuasion Ninja? Also, last week, spent some time in California, Babo Island, that's in Southern California. It's kind of one of those places you go for fun, hang out near the beach, get some refreshments. And there's a famous banana stand there. It's been there for over 50 years, but also made famous from... If you've ever seen Arrested Development, they owned a banana stand on Balboa Island, and the convicted dad was always talking about, there's money in the banana stand. They're like, oh, sell more bananas? Again, these are frozen chocolate-covered bananas, and they put nuts and things on them. They're pretty good. And in the show, they uh, eventually burned down the stand. Somebody did and burned all the money. They didn't realize the money's in the walls of the stand. But anyway, with that being said, when you go to the island, there is the famous place... And it always has a long line. At least when I've been there, always a long line. Is it worth the wait? This is the original. This is the best. This is the one everybody talks about. And then surrounding that area is where the knockoffs. <laughs> Wasn't the original place. But they still had that frozen chocolate-covered banana <laughs> that they would sell to you. So is that a blunder, taking advantage of others and the long line and people on the wait? Because every once in a while, people would go in and take the shorter route. Or is that a ninja? You're there, people don't want to wait in line. Kind of interesting. It's always going to be a balance of that social validation, the line we've talked about on the show. So let me know, is this a persuasion blunder or a persuasion ninja? Because there are some companies that just go off the other marketing, the other names of previous companies or the companies that's the biggest. It's okay to go after them, to be a second best, to be the next best, become better than them. Kind of always interesting in marketing. That's what's different between marketing and politics. Politics is a zero-sum game, meaning there's one winner, one loser. In marketing and business, multiple people could win. You can have 40% of the market, 30% of the market, 20% of the market. It's not win or lose like politics. That's why politics gets so vicious. Is there, I mean, there's no 20% of the market. You're either getting 100% of that job or 0% of that job. And that is the difference. That's why marketing 
is not quite as cutthroat as politics. Some places it is, some ads you've seen, but let me know. Send me an email, Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Which brings us to our geeky scholarly article. Brought to us by Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, PsychNet, and Peter Brown. Praise. Does praise work? What about children and their performance and motivation? Are we doing it the right way? Well, in the corporate world, leadership, we don't praise enough. You know, praise should be sincere, but does it work when it's not sincere? Well, they call it ingradiation. <laughs> That's when you aren't being sincere, but it still feels good, like you look great in that dress or... The one that happened to me, I went to the suit store. really didn't need a suit. I'd like to see how persuasive people are in this. Man, this sharp-dressed gentleman came up, was looking good, dressed nice. I should get a suit like that. He says, well, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I want a blue suit. That's one of your more credible colors, especially if they're contrasting colors. For example, still pulls well for men, a blue suit, a white shirt, and a red power tie. I continued, I wanted to travel well. He said, well, what size are you? I'm like, I don't know. So he got his tape measure out, measured my waist, and he wrote it down, and he measured my chest, and he tilted his head, and he looked at me, and he measured my chest again, and he paused, and he says, do you work out? Do you exercise? And I'm like, why, yes, I do. <laughs> it just feels good. You know, I bought a suit that day, only because it was on sale, but there's just something about praise. So study goes on to say that praise for ability is commonly considered to have beneficial effects on motivation, right? your ability, contrary to praise for intelligence. They found six studies that praise for intelligence, how smart you are, had more negative consequences for students' achievement motivation than praise for effort. So they looked at fifth graders that were praised for intelligence, were found to care more about performance goals relative to learning goals. And children praised for effort after failure they also displayed less task persistence, less task enjoyment, more low ability attributions, and worse task performance in children praised for effort. Finally, children praised for intelligence described it as a fixed trait more than children praised for hard work who believed it was subject to improvement. So if you were praised for how smart you are, that's done. Can't really fix it, especially if you failed the test. But if I do performance, you're a hard worker. You could always get better, work a little harder. These findings have important implications on how achievement is best encouraged. How do we motivate? So examples of effort praised. So these are the good ones. These had better performance, more motivation. People stuck to the task more. You really worked hard on this project. I can see the effort you put into your homework. Your persistence in studying really paid off on this test. I admire the dedication you showed in preparing for your presentation. That's praise for effort. And if you blow it, you say, well, I can put a little more effort. I can change this. I can work a little harder. But the praise for intelligence, these are the examples. You're so smart. You were born to be a mathematician. You're naturally good at this. You got an A because you're really intelligent. So what they found if you blow it, say, on a test or on that presentation and you were praised for your intelligence and your natural ability, then where do you go from there? There's nowhere else to go. You can't really get smarter. I guess you could. But it's easier to crank up the effort with that type of praise than your intelligence praise. So something to think about, interesting piece there. Can you praise too much? Well, they did study with hairdressers and they praised their own work, which is interesting, but that's probably another side shoot of that study. But when they praised zero, they looked at the tips, one, two. So one tip went up, two tips, started getting three, four, started to decline. So we can't praise too much. But in the workplace, and I'd add with children, 
I doubt we're praising too much. We're probably calling out the more negative than the positive things. It's something that we can all work on, do better. So A, learn that sometimes we don't praise because of our own low self-esteem. Sometimes we don't praise because our specific type personality doesn't need it that much. Sometimes as managers we think, well, that's what we pay them for. A lot of people just don't know how. I mean, if you really want this to work to stick, you need to be sincere. Again, I said it still works, but let's be sincere with the praise. Make sure it's something positive. For example, you still work here? Good for you still employed. <laughs> thought you'd be fired by now. That's sarcasm. A lot of people can't handle it. A lot of cultures aren't used to it. I'm a very sarcastic person. That's just kind of how I am. I'm going to be very careful depending where I'm at, who I'm with, what culture I'm in, because some people that doesn't translate well. So something positive. And the key is something specific, something they can't refute. When you praise someone with low self-esteem, which is pretty much everyone, I mean, self-esteem is how much we like ourselves. We all suffer different aspects of our life, probably with low self-esteem. Make it something specific. They can't refute. It happened. When you were on the phone with Mr. Jones, you turned them around. That was textbook. Everyone should listen to that recording. It happened. It was specific. They can't refute it. I mean, you could say good job today. Probably better than nothing. Is better than nothing. But what does that really mean? So two things to learn today. Try to praise effort more than intelligence. And try to make it as specific as possible. And third bonus lesson, do it more often. It'll make a huge impact. Here's the bottom line we call the law of esteem. It's one of the laws in maximum influence. When you bruise someone's ego self-esteem, it shuts the doors to influence. You enhance it, you boost it, it keeps the doors open. That is the key. That's what people are looking for. So I don't know if you've heard the mum effect before. Before I get into it, let's back up. And why is it hard, next to impossible, for someone to tell you that your zipper down, your flies down on your pants, or you have food in your teeth, that you've been eating that spinach dip and it's showing that big green speck on your teeth, pen on your face, stain on your shirt. Most people don't tell you. Now, some people do, but it just seems like it's not the norm. You know, I've had people, when I'm teaching seminars and trainings, you know, the person in the front row keeps lifting up their fingers and vertically, and I'm like, what's that? Because my fly's down. So every once in a while, there is somebody to do it, but a lot of times, one-on-one, it's a little awkward. You got food in your teeth, zipper down. And I think everyone would want to know that they have their food in their teeth or zipper down. So why is that? Why is there that reluctance to inform someone about that zipper, the food in their teeth, pen on your face, whatever it is? Again, some will. Also depends on culture. Some cultures are more honest than others. Hey, Kurt, you're fatter than last time. <laughs> yes, I am. Some cultures beat around the bush and would never say something like that because that would be rude and inconsiderate. So it depends, again, on culture, personality. What holds us back? Well, it's a little awkward for both people, the person delivering the message and the one receiving the message. Most people, human nature, prefer to avoid uncomfortable situations. Again, some people enjoy the argument or letting people know that they're not looking so good that day or they've gained weight over the years. But most people don't want to feel uncomfortable, and that's why they don't do it. The other one is embarrassment. They feel like it might embarrass the individual. You know, people feel self-conscious, humiliated. How could that be? They're going to think about how long have I had this food in my teeth? How long have my zippers been down? That's what they're going to be focusing on. Some people might consider it rude or intrusive. It's none of my business. That's their thing. That's their fault, maybe. Could be part of it. And a big part of that, true, is people just don't want to give out bad news. Think about this. 
This came up when I was researching maximum influence is that weather people, people that predict the weather get death threats. You mean it's going to snow on my daughter's wedding? It's going to do this? It's documented. The bearer of bad news gets shot. That's just how it is. And we know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that mood matters, that when someone's in a bad mood, they recall bad things, why they don't like you, why it's not going to work. When you have bad news, that can put people in a bad mood and make them more difficult to influence. And we instinctively know that as humans, that that bad news, we don't want to be part of it. In fact, an interesting study with college students, room full of college students, and they were taking a test. They did this multiple times. So the phone would ring, a student would answer it. And they said, can you get so-and-so? That I've got really bad news, but I need to talk to them right now. And instinctively, most of the students would go over and say, oh, you phone call. Then they kept doing this and ring again. Another student would answer it, different time, different place. They'd say, hey, I've got really good news. Can you get so-and-so? Bring them to the phone. I want to share it with them. And instinctively, the student would go over there and says, hey, phone call, it's good news. So we, we want to associate with the good news, and we don't want any part of that bad news. That's part of it. And another reason... We assume that someone else will say something. That's why a lot of car accidents or people having heart attacks, nobody helps because we think somebody else was going to help. I mean, that's a big challenge. It's called the bystander effect. It's also a maximum influence. In fact, let's talk about that a little bit, the bystander effect. So it's interesting. A lot of studies show that when someone's in trouble or need a help, as the number of bystanders increases or seeing it, the number of people who actually help decreases. That's the bystander apathy, the bystander effect. So this occurs because in almost any situation, the more people that are present, the more we feel a diffusion of responsibility. Our sense of social pressure is lessened when we feel that there might be any number of other people more capable or better at helping than we are. So that's part of it. The part of it too, when all these people see an accident, everyone assumes someone else is called 911. So if you're ever in an accident, point to someone and say, you call 911, make sure it happens. If there's a lot of people, maybe nobody did. They assumed other people did. Cars on the side of the road, engines in a bad way. We assume someone's already called for help. Maybe nobody has. So if you're really interested in that bystander apathy, the famous case is Catherine Genovese, New York City. It was tragic. It was, it was terrible. It was just some girl that's getting beat up, left for dead. Light would come on. The attacker would walk away. And this happened over hours, nobody in that whole apartment building that heard all these noises and screams called the police. And everyone's all, oh, those New Yorkers, they're bad people. What it came down to, everybody else thought somebody else had called the police, and it turned out nobody ever called. And this attacker eventually murdered this poor girl. In fact, 38 neighbors watched and heard this, never called the cops. Let me share one more here. So in another study... They had participants completing a questionnaire, and after a few minutes, smoke began to enter the room from underneath the door. They were pumping smoke underneath the door. So when there was someone by themselves in the room taking this questionnaire, 75% of them went to report it to get help. (laughs) We wonder about the other 25%. In groups of three, it dropped to 38%. So if two of the people were in on the study, they aren't going to do anything, regardless of how much smoke comes in, that one person they were looking at dropped from 75% to 38%. It can be called diffusion responsibility, bystander apathy, especially a crowd. Fewer people are likely to say something, but if it's just you one-on-one, they're not going to see anybody for a while, you're probably more likely to say something. And let me add too, I think a lot of it too, is some people are probably so self-centered, maybe they really didn't see it, they really didn't notice, they didn't notice 
the food in your teeth, your zipper down. They were so concerned about what to say next about themselves, about what they're going, what they're doing. So I'd even say part of the time, we just don't notice. Some people notice those things more than others. So that could happen. We we are focused on ourselves. I mean, change the part in your hair. Very few people notice. We think everyone's so hyper-focused on us, and it's the exact opposite. We're focusing on ourselves. I heard once that you wouldn't care so much what other people think of you when you realize how little they do. There are a couple of ways you could take that, but the reality is they're not focusing on you. So sometimes they're just completely missing it. They're not seeing it. Again, social norms differ. It could be cultures. Different things could happen. Some cultures are more honest than others. So it comes down to the other reason is the mum effect, where people are hesitant to deliver bad news or negative information to others. Mum, M-U-M. Mum's the word. You've probably heard that one before, which means to keep silent or say nothing about a particular issue. So they've got a study and a name for everyone. This one's the mum effect. We just don't want to speak up. So the term mum in this context is kind of a strange word means silent or not speaking, comes from Middle English mum, which is believed to be an imitation of the sound one makes when closing their lips to indicate silence. I don't know about that, but that seems to be the consensus. That's why mum's the word, became a common expression in the English language and is still used today. So this mum effect is situations where individuals are aware of a negative or unpleasant information, but choose not to share it with the affected person. This might even be bad news about stock prices or something bad that happened in the community or they're going to get fired. People don't want to share it. That's the mum effect. So protecting others from harm or hurt, people will withhold bad news because they want to protect the other person from emotional distress or avoid causing them pain. Could be a fear of negative consequence where that person might get mad, blamed, resented. It's their fault. How could you tell me? You know, so we attack the messenger. And a lot of people just, again, just that social harmony. They don't want to share the bad news. They want everybody in a good mood. They want everyone to smile. So do we tell people bad news? Yes, you should. You can do it in the right way. You can change your demeanor and say, hey, I I got to tell you this. You can set it up. Do you want me to sugarcoat this? You just want the truth. And when people do give you that bad news, say, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for telling me. You can boost their esteem for telling you. But do be aware that most don't want to communicate the bad news. So you do have to have empathy when you do this. It's all really coming down to maintaining good self-esteem for both parties. So you could do it the right way. You could do it privately. When you do it the right way, get permission to maybe tell them what's going on. Do you want the good news or bad news first? There are a variety of ways to do that, but it all comes back to what he talked about is that self-esteem. All-time low We can blame social media, we can blame advertising, we can blame a lot of different things. We just know that it's off the charts very, very low. So both the things we talked about today, praise and the mum effect, have to do with self-esteem, how we feel about ourselves. We're all so concerned about what the world thinks that a lot of times the bare bad news gets shot when they do it the wrong way. So I encourage you to do it, and I encourage you to encourage others to do it. And so when they do tell you that bad news, say, thank you, I appreciate it, that must have been hard. Most people haven't told me that. I'm glad you did. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Boost the esteem. Let them know it didn't bruise your self-esteem or try to pretend that it didn't. And that'll make a huge difference. So there you have it. Another one for the books. Please send me your comments, your feedback at Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Everything you need about this podcast, including the special, your Persuasion IQ Assessment, which is free, by the way, is all at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. 
Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast, which can be found at Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, you name it, it's there under Maximize Your Influence. And also, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, you'll see the continuing special, Millionaire Psychology, the traits, characteristics of successful people. You want to be successful? You start thinking, acting, and doing what other successful people do. Success is a notebook test. The answers are there. 90% off. Check it out. Go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, and the link will be there under this podcast. But take something you learned today, especially the concept of self-esteem and how we feel about ourselves makes a huge difference in your ability to persuade and influence. So there you have it. Become more influential. Become a better negotiator. Learn how to praise a little better. Make it a little stickier. Learn how to deliver that bad news and go out and persuade with power. <laughs>